0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: God to touch us in that regard. I want you to turn with me, if you will, in the Book of Joshua, chapter number six, and. Uh... The story that we are going to just pull one scripture from for the sake of time. I want to just kind of lead up to this is the children of Israel that have been delivered from Egypt. Made their exodus journey. They walked 40 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief and disobedience. And now another generation under the leadership. Moses is gone. Joshua now is their leader. And they have come indeed to the promised land that was prophesied and predicted and promised by the Lord himself. And so when they come into Canaan, when they come into the land of Canaan, the very first thing they face is a city named Jericho. And um, and so when they came to Jericho, the Lord gave Joshua, who gave the people, some very specific instructions about how we're going to defeat Jericho. And so the Lord said, see that city, Jericho, I have given it to you in your hand. I have given it unto thee in your hand. And then he gave them the formula. They began to march one time a day for six days, not saying a word. They marched in silence. And then on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And at the end of that seventh time, They shouted with a great shout, blew the trumpet, and the walls of that city came down. Interestingly enough, the walls of that city were pressed flat, amen, because they were formidable walls. And so if they had just toppled over, it would still be an uncrossable barrier to some degree. But God pressed the walls of that city into the ground, and they went over, amen, and began to take that. Then in verse number six twenty-six of chapter six, pardon me for keeping you standing this long, but as I often say, I'll be standing when you're seated. So um, in Joshua 6 and 26, the Bible says, And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. Amen. Jericho was fallen flat. They have taken the city. They're looking at the smoldering ash of what God has done. And the Lord spoke through Joshua and said, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up to build and buildeth this city or rebuilds this city, Jericho. And this is the sentence He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. It is a very alarming passage of Scripture if you read the story. Amen. Today, I want to just speak to you from my heart from this subject. Don't go back. Don't go back. Amen. Lord, I love you today, and I'm asking you to let the authority of the Holy Ghost speak and not just merely the voice of a man. But, Lord, I pray today that your holy anointing will pierce our heart let it be. Let it strengthen us and let it challenge every one of us today. From the youngest to the oldest, God, help us to not walk back away from the things that we have committed to you and the victories in our past. I pray today, Lord, your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you for standing. I appreciate that. The scene of our text, in truth... Is a scene of utter destruction. We, in our Global Missions program, our Global Missions presentation a moment ago, were reminded of of something um, that happened in Puerto Rico through a devastating storm. And so, while those were pictures of the storm during the storm, we have, if you have followed that story to any degree at all, you're familiar with. Uh, You are familiar with the story uh, of the pictures, the scene, the sight of just absolute and utter destruction. And we look at that and we wonder how in the world could there be life on the other side of all of this. But can I tell you that in our most horrific visuals of the things that we have been exposed to, I believe what we're looking at here in the city of Jericho, would just cause all of that to pale in comparison. This is a scene of destruction. It's a scene of fire. It is a scene of absolute ruin. There is nothing left. If you've heard this story, just bear with me again. But in 1991, 1991, I was preaching a conference in Oakland, California, and that area of California has as has is, as is historically uh, a, part of, of their, uh, hist- a part of their part of their life in, in so many ways. They have horrendous fires that uh, that get loose and go up the mountainside and and uh, the pastor that I was there with um, he said, "I want us to ride out and I want to sh- show you some of the, uh, the the fires and so we rode through and We we innocently drove into uh, a neighborhood that had really been barricaded off. No one was allowed to go in there. We didn't realize it until later, but the barricades had been taken down because there were some wrecker services that were going in and retrieving burned cars and things of that nature. Um, We didn't get in any trouble, thankfully. But what we did get was a bird's eye view of utter destruction. I, I have seen, of course, as many of you, house fires and and you see the burned-out automobiles and the refrigerators and the, the appliances. You can kind of tell what's what. Uh, it's just ash and, and decay. But as we begin to look up the mountains, there were just spots of just gray ash. And it was foreign to me. I could not imagine uh, what that was. And so I finally asked somebody, I said, what, are, what, are, what is all that all over the mountainside? And they said that also was homes. And uh, that the fire was so intense that it completely changed the complexion of what we would recognize as a house fire. In many, many cases, uh, of course, you could still see car things and after I, you got to looking. It could make sense of a few things. But for the most part, it had been completely ruined in just ash. My mind went to Sodom and Gomorrah and other places where the hand of God, I'm not saying this was the hand of God, but other biblical scenes in Scripture, and it certainly went right here to Jericho. Because what we are looking at is not a God that just kind of messed up their hair or ruffled their day, but it was a scene of absolute ruin. Pardon me for taking so much time to underline that, but I want us to get that it was a scene of utter ruin but for the children of Israel this was also a scene of complete and utter victory because God had done a mighty work in that he prom- and, and he did what he promised his children that he would do on their behalf he said that he said of Israel that they would possess Canaan and that they and that he would destroy all of those that opposed his plan that's what God said. He said, I'll destroy them. So after they cross Jordan River, the first thing they encounter is this formidable city. How are we going to take this? Amen. This is a new generation of the Israelites. We have to remember that. This, a new generation. And so the size of Jericho was tremendous. Not, not to mention the city being large itself, but the walls themselves. It would have been, and certainly could have been, a very disheartening situation, even though God said, I have given you this city. I've given you this city. And so, you know, we think sometimes when God says, I'm going to give you something, it's just going to be under the tree. It's going to be on the counter. There's going to be a bow tie and candles, and the choir's going to be singing in the background. But I would imagine it was a very disheartening scene because they were staring at walls that were estimated to be some 17 foot high. And there were garrisons or guard towers that could have been as high as 27 feet tall. Those walls were as much as 6 feet wide. But God said, I'm going to give this to you. You see, it's already yours. Amen. So God said, I'm going to do that. And when they followed the instructions that the Lord gave them, Amen, these walls had fallen down and God had indeed given them. In addition, the people that were de- the people of that city were destroyed and the city burned by fire. Now, you know, we may sometimes read through the Bible and we read stories like this because we just sort of open maybe to the book of Joshua and started reading the first part of Joshua, a few chapters, and then all of a sudden we come upon this horrific story and we think, well, how could God pronounce this kind of judgment on what we may deem as innocent people, Amen. How I th- I don't think that's beyond reason myself to even ask that, but I think what we have to do is to understand the importance of reading Scripture in context. Scripture out of context can leave us down the wrong path, lead us down the wrong path, and so there could be many reasons. I won't try to list them all, but I think that we have to understand first and foremost that the civilization of Canaan was a very, very wicked people. They were unspeakably wicked. And God did not want his holy people to be contaminated with the wicked people of the inhabitants of the land. Because you see, from the beginning of time until this day in 2019, God has called his people to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Amen. God has always said, I do not want my, I do not want my bride, I do not want my people and my holy people to be contaminated by the sin and the sin nature of, of, of uh, people that are contaminated. So we got never must forget that God put Israel in the world so that he could use Israel through which to channel. All of his blessings. A lot of things came through the, the children of Israel. One writer said it like this. He said it is, it is as though God is and was perpetually at war with sin. And this is the explanation of the Canaanites being eliminated because the Jews didn't fully obey the command in later years it did lead the the nation and led to a national if you want to say defilement and a divine chastisement however there is also a second consideration the Canaanites had been given plenty of opportunity to repent and turn toward the Lord. Amen. That's what we must never forget. So if you just pick up your Bible, open it to Joshua, turn to Joshua chapter number 6, we could say, what kind of God could do something like this? Amen, we must never forget there's one woman whose name should echo in our mind, a woman by the name of Rahab. Amen, Rahab and her family. She said Rahab came to those spies when those when they went in to spy out the land. And Rahab said to those spies, she said, we have heard about all the things that your God has done. Amen, we. Rahab wasn't just talking about me and my mom and my dad and, and a couple of my cousins. But she was talking about we as a people, our society. We have heard about all the things that your God has done. As a matter of fact, in chapter two and verse number ten, Rahab went all the way back to the very first thing, Amen, and that was the Red Sea. That was the first thing they encountered when they were delivered from Egypt. So they knew the history of the children of Israel, Amen. The Canaanites, hear me today. They knew what was going on. They. Knew knew every wonder that God had performed, and they knew about every victory that God had given his people, amen, it was, all of those victories was a witness to these people, it was a witness for these people, amen, however, they preferred to go on their own way, and live in their own life, and reject God, amen, so we should never think that the Canaanites were just helpless, or that they were that they were scripturally ignorant or biblically ignorant, amen, uh, And but they knew nothing about God because they knew all about God. Amen, one woman said, I wanna know what I can do to save my family. And you know what? God's grace was right there sufficient, not just for her family, but I believe that anybody, I believe that anybody that would have been in the home of Rahab that day, amen, I don't think the scarlet thread was just For her, I believe anybody that would have heard that message could have found safety amen, they they could have found safety because we are serving a God that's trying to reach for us, amen but they were willfully sinning woefully sinning in the face of God and so God was going to make a statement about his power and how he will work against enemy forces, therefore he destroyed the nation according, according to the, the gospel according to rather uh, the apostle Paul in the book of Rome Romans chapter 15 we got to keep in mind that the Bible Bible talks about these historical events, and so I'll just talk about Jericho as a historical event because it is in Romans 15 and 4. Paul said, And these events were for our learning. Amen. They are to teach us that you can't reject the work the work of God, and we can't reject the word of God. We can't just reject what God is wanting to do and God just say it's all right, don't worry about, it. don't worry about it, because there is a reckoning day coming. Amen. In the destruction of Jericho, God was telling us. He was telling his people that he is not going to tolerate compromise with sin. He is not going to tolerate compromise in the lives of people. I know today that all we can hear and think about and focus on is grace. But can I tell you that that when the trumpet sounds, the dispensation of grace is going to end and a dispensation of judgment will begin. I'm gonna tell you on this side of the trumpet sounding, I wanna say, Lord, whatever you had had me to do, Let me climb on the potter's wheel and mold me and make me and fashion me, God, according to your plan and not according to mine. Jesus himself compared hell to a furnace of eternal flame. John the Baptist described God's judgment as unquenchable fire and then John himself amen on the Isle of Patmos compared hell to a lake of fire. Can I tell you today that hell is just as real as heaven and I want you to know that as much as I want to go to heaven that's just how bad I want to avoid hell amen and so God whatever you want me to do that's what I want to do I want to reach for some young people today. I want to reach for some middle aged people today. I want to reach for some young couples today I want to reach to our elders today and tell us that God is not going to tolerate sin amen whatever you have crucified whatever God has have, have you have laid down at the altar can I tell you don't go back and pick that up amen don't go back and say I'm going to rebuild that don't go back and say well it's not as important today as it was yesterday because it is ever more as important today as it has ever been hallelujah let's clap our hands oh, god, touch, my heart. God, touch my mind today touch my mind today the burning of jericho like the destruction of sodom and gomorrah is a picture it's a snapshot of the judgment of god that will fall on those who reject the truth and so as they set outside the ruin I'm not sure how long this took but as they sat outside the ruin and they're looking at the ash and the smoke and the destruction of what once had been Joshua stopped in verse 26 to make a very powerful, bold proclamation. And as they're looking there, the embers are burning. It is a scene of utter destruction. And Joshua said, Cursed be the man that builds this city, Jericho. He said, he shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Joshua was so sincere about this proclamation that the Bible says he adjured them. That's not a 21st century word. But a word that would fit into our culture today is he made an oath with them and he made them take an oath with him. He adjured them, amen, that you will not rebuild this city. God wanted that city to remain in a state of ruin for a reason because God wanted a standing monument of his wrath against the Canaanites. I want you to leave it there. Because I want people to be reminded every time they see it, this is what I think of rebellion. This is what I think about sin. This is what I think about people that are saying, I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Word of God said. I'm just going to do my own thing. And so God said, leave that there for a reason because somebody needs to know. Those that crossed, oh, there's a slim chance they're going to forget. They were there. Amen. They were there. They had the ash on their clothes. The smell of the smoke was in their garment. They saw. Amen. They were there when it all fell. They were there when it all happened. And so there is a rare chance that one of them are going to go back. They were standing there when when Joshua uttered those words. But God said, I want a monument to remind people that this is not what you do. Amen. It was also a reminder of God's wrath against the enemy. It was to serve as a reminder as well to the children of Israel of his mercy and and then the assurance that his promises and that his word is sure. Amen, I told you, I told you. You see that city, I have given it to you. You're going to take it, not barely take it. You're going to take it. Amen. For us to understand the sincerity of this verse, we must first realize something very significant. It may seem very common, and this statement may seem very shallow, but I think that we must realize something significant, that God destroyed this city. And what God destroys, we had best leave alone. Man didn't do this. Oh, this, this was not the end result of the genius of man. No, no, no. No. Man, if you look at what man did, man just marched. Man just blew a trumpet. Man just shouted. This was not the end result of some genius war leader. This was God. And so God is saying, if you go against something that I did, you're going to live under a curse. God intended for Jericho to stay in that state of ruin or he would have never destroyed it. And so if we go against what God has done, can I tell you that we will pay the price. Don't ever try to rebuild something that God has destroyed. I'm going to tell you today, if you set something down a long time ago, don't go back and pick that up. Amen. Don't go back and pick it up. It's not going to be like it was last time. Amen. It's not going to work out. Amen. It won't work out again. Amen. As a matter of fact, it'll be worse than it was last time. Don't ever try to rebuild something that God has given you victory over. If we were to fast forward somewhat, you can read about the fulfillment of this prophecy. And it's five hundred, or the better part of five hundred years later. Five hundred years, there about, in First Kings chapter sixteen and verse thirty-four. Five hundred years, a lot of time has passed. Been a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals, a lot of lot of lot of births, a lot of departures. A big turnover in 500 years. Some had forgotten, but God had not forgotten. Amen. Don't you know? Don't you know that the word of why Jericho was in ruin was available if you wanted to know? Somebody going to be hanging around passing that story from generation to generation. If you want to know why, the story of why is going to be there. And the curse was this. He will lay the foundation in his firstborn and he will set up the gates in his youngest son. Now, I'm not here to cross theological swords with anybody. There's a, a few varying opinions on these rather curious words. I can share with you a couple of them. Some perhaps think that when he laid the foundation of the city, because 500 years later, a man did raise up. And he did say, I'm going to rebuild Jericho. I'll, I'll, I'll put all of this back to its former glory. Amen. So his eldest son, when he laid the foundation. And the eldest child, and especially an eldest son in scripture, was the hope of their family. Because that was the, the seed to carry on. And so some think that when he laid the foundation, that he would have instantly, his son, eldest son, would have died by the judgment of God. And also that his children would have died in succession so that when the gates, and the gates of the city represent kind of the final thing, the final thing is the hanging of the gates, and then everything would be complete. And that when the gates were hung, uh, that his youngest child would have died So therefore, instead of securing himself a name to carry on, his whole family had become extinct. Still others speculate perhaps that these words may not typify that kind of judgment, but rather that it could have been, and this is just conjecture, but it could have been that That the process of this rebuilding was going to be a process filled with great delays and a lot of hardship. And and that, that the task would have been so monumental that this man would have spent his entire life. And in his youth, when he was able to procreate children, he would have been distracted by the rebuilding of this city. So much so that he would only have one son to show for his life's work. And of course there are many I'm sure other opinions and, and I'm not here to try to figure and flesh that out My point is is that the fulfillment of the prophecy was true And it came about Cursed be the man that tries to rebuild this Because you're going to lose your first one when you start And your last one when you finish Amen We may never really know but the curse This is what we do know. Still seems to rest on Jericho. While Jericho itself is not blotted off the map, it is reduced to what some call just a miserable village with nothing there to to give one indication of its former splendor. Amen. There's nothing there to indicate what it had been. Are, Are we getting the picture today? Amen. So sometimes we can just say, well, I'm going to go back And we're going to restore this to its greatest glory And we're going to do this And when God said, my hand's against that That's what you need to understand It is never going to work Your best effort is never going to work It's not going to be Because I said it's not going to be So here's what we can take away from this today It's a dangerous thing to try to rebuild something God has destroyed Amen I've watched God remove some people out of a person's life. And they do everything within their power to regenerate and pull that back into their life. And that can be the most dangerous thing that we could ever do. What God has pulled away from us. Amen. What God has separated us from. Amen. I don't ever want to remove something and let that come back in. Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 14 says he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And I believe that God intends for it to stay that way. Nothing between God and I. Nothing that would get in the way between me and the Lord. Yet for some reason, if we're not careful, we'll be rebuilding things in our life that should stay torn down. They just should be left alone. Things that can separate us from God. Amen. Places and, and things that God has destroyed. Sometimes we're too busy trying to put all that back together. Amen. God, help us to not put anything between us. I'm saying today. I'm saying today. Don't go back. Don't. It's not worth it. Don't. Don't go back. You can't go back. It's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's not what the enemy is trying to convince you that it is. Amen. The places that God destroyed. Don't spend any time trying to put that back together. Amen. We should never discount the fact. Amen. That if we don't tr- totally destroy some things, you see, Jericho was utterly destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah utterly destroyed. Never found anything left. Amen. Utterly destroyed. And if we don't totally destroy some things, they can hang around our lives and be a constant reminder of our past. Amen. There can be an allure. Amen. There can be an allure. And as long it's there, as long as it's there, we can always be tempted to go back. Amen. I'm going to tell you, if God has delivered you from something get it out of your life amen and keep it out of your life don't put it on the shelf just to prove you're strong enough don't keep it in don't don't, don't keep it somewhere on the counter just, just, just to make sure that I still got what it takes. No, no, no. The, it, the price is too high. It's too risky. Amen. Take it away. Throw it away. Put it away. Amen. I don't ever want to let that temptation inhabit a place in my mind again. But you see, if you just totally destroy it, then we will never have to go back there. Amen. Remember what the prophet Micah had to say. Micah 7 and 19, follow on the screens if you will. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's what God did. Amen. Now sometimes we misquote this and this is the scripture here in Micah, by the way, that we're referring to when we talk about our sins being cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen, that's what, that's what we're referring to. Amen, they're going to be cast into the depths of the sea. David said in Psalms 103 and 12, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God put a separation. There is a north pole and a south pole, but there's not an east pole and a west pole. It doesn't exist because God said we're going to put that, we're going to take that away. It's not going to be a reminder. Then there's an interesting scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter seven, verse twenty-five. The Bible says here, "The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination un, it is an abomination to the Lord thy." God and so he said of those graven images I want you to grind that to dust and get it out of here when Aaron I mean when Moses went to the mountain with God Mount Sinai and while he was on the mountain with God and God was doing all kind of wonderful things the Lord said uh, Moses you might need to go back downstairs son there's a noise in the camp and got down there, man. They've made all kind of graven images, and Moses said, "What in the world's going on?" And Aaron's standing there, looking like, you know, I don't know what happened. And so they burned those idols and they ground them to dust. Am I in the? Am I right that he made them drink? Yes, that's right. Yes, we're going to do away with this we there's going to be no reminder we're going to do away with this ultimately amen god destroyed the past so don't go rebuild it again because it isn't worth it as long as that city remained in ruins it would be a constant reminder that god is who he says he is and you are who i say you are amen let's stand together but you see if you rebuild the city if you rebuild the city just follow my train of thought here if you will for a moment if you rebuild the city time goes on there'll be another generation that they know nothing about it the ruins all the ash been swept up all the little broken blocks, there all that's all cleaned up, and now you just drive by and wow, there's Jericho, there's Jericho. And it will just be a story told and not a story experienced. Furthermore, it could leave room for people to later mock God. What happened to your God that tore down Jericho? I see man that's put it back in its splendor. What about your God? It could imply that somehow man is greater than God. And to be sure, God said, I'll have nothing to do with that. And so it is imperative that we leave what God has taken away where it is. If we don't rebuild the Jerichos of our life, we will be living the testimony of God being all-knowing and all-truthful and God being all-faithful. And can I tell you today, He is a God of absolute truth. We rebuild the walls of the things that God has taken away. If all of a sudden we just kind of change our position on something, can I tell you that somewhere along the way, you're going to hinder somebody else that's trying to get their feet under them. Because people that are trying to grow in God need somebody they can look at and reach toward. And so don't you become some moving target that is unpredictable on again, off again, up and down, here and there. Give them something consistent to walk after and look after. Amen. Praise God. I don't want to stand in the way of somebody else. Because I've rebuilt some things in my life. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be a stumbling block. But I want God to somehow take my life and take your life and and Lord, those commitments that you know, in all truthfulness, some of us made decades ago now. I don't want just because I'm a few miles down the road for that to seem unimportant. I want to stay committed. To what I committed to Amen Can I beg you today in the Holy Ghost Don't go Don't go back Don't go back It's not going to be what you think it's going to be It's not going to feel like you think it's going to feel it, it won't be what you may have dreamed it to be Somehow Somehow That sinister artist called Satan Never never quite points out the ugly side Amen. Amen. I I have I've often thought about when I'm riding down the road and you see those billboards sometimes all lit up promoting some terrible sin. All those bright lights, it seems so appealing. But if you could just pull over right there and step around behind that sign that's where all the briars are growing the thorns and the thistles. You see I've had the opportunity to step around behind the sign and I've walked into hospital rooms to pray for people that got caught in the lights of this side and now they're paying the price from this side. And their families are destroyed and their lives are destroyed because they went back and they bought into a lie. What God has destroyed, let not one man, let not one man go back. 500 years, what's the deal? I mean, it's a long time because God said no. When God says no, we need to leave it no. Amen. Can we just pray today? if you'd like to gather around the front, why don't we just gather in? Amen. Let's close our service today with family prayer. Let's magnify the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.